Welcome to another episode of FileMaker Talk. My name is Matt P. Trotsky, and you are? Matt N. of R. <laughs> and that's how we roll. <laughs> <laughs> Silly from the very beginning. Oh, man. You know, we should well, do a drunk episode one day. Oh, like the dig guys? Yeah. Even though it's kind of dumb, but I don't maker. know. <laughs> wow. Some of the solutions I've seen <laughs> look like <laughs> they were done while somebody was drinking. Yeah, well. Okay. What's uh, what's news, Dr. Petrowski? News. Well, there's a, a new way to stay in touch with us. It's not something we're going to use on a daily basis, as some people do use, but that is Twitter. So if people want to follow or they're using Twitter or if they have no idea what Twitter is, it's all the rage. It took me forever to figure out what the rage was. Still don't totally know, but it's a Twitter slash FileMaker talk. And what I figured we use it for is when people or when we're going to record. So eventually maybe we'll do something like um, provide a live stream and let people listen while we're actually recording and allow them to uh, send feedback or uh, tips via chat or whatever. I don't know. I just set it up. It's pretty cool. Twitter's kind of like the Facebook status thing. You can change your status every day or many times throughout the day. It's basically sort of a, a simple way to communicate what is going on right now with you to a bunch of people, right? Don't they call it microblogging? Yeah, something like that. That sounds about the right term. You only get like a, it's like it, and it's basically SMS for the web. You basically can have 160 characters or something like that, and then it can go out to as many different locations as you want. So you can get it as an actual SMS message on your phone. You can also reply, but then it also can integrate. Well, I did hear recently, um, I heard Leo Laporte saying that there is um, uh, there's software, open source software, you can set up that's similar to Twitter. Of course, there's always going to be a, a clone of something somewhere. And I think it's Laconica, where you can set it up so it's basically a Twitter clone that you can run on your site so that you and your team of people can provide updates. What happens is, say, a developer just put in a new feature, and then you make that posting, and then that goes out to everybody on the management team or whatever via an SMS or to their instant messenger client, which is how he uses it and how he was indicating he was using it. So. Hmm. It's always changing out there, the technology. It's the kids. That's what they're using. Yep. Other things in news. There wasn't a whole lot of FileMaker news that I saw. There were a few things. Uh, CNS released a new version of Poppet. Uh, there's FileMaker training from Solution Makers at solutionmakers.com. There's always some type of training going on. Mm-hmm. Um, DW Data Concepts released a new FileMaker solution called Appointment. And then uh, Solution Makers again had a 123 sync standard edition version, um, something to do with their uh, syncing information between their QuickBooks uh, accounting integration tool and so on. There's one thing that I saw that you'll have to excuse my cynical nature, but um, it was released from WorkSmart, and I have great respect for the guys over at WorkSmart. They've always put out some good stuff. But it's a database called Quote Smart. It's a FileMaker database. And it contains 6,000 quotes. Now, here's what I want to get is your impression on this. FileMaker database, it's very attractive looking. You should go take a look at it at uh, WorkSmart, and that's W O R Q S M A R T dot com. 
this is what they want for 6,000 quotes and the ability for you to add your own into a FileMaker database. $29.95. As in $30? As in $30. So what do you mean by quotes? Just like quotes, you know, what did Albert Einstein say? What did oh, Marie Curie say? Yeah. Just a database of 6,000 quotes. Same quotes you could probably get on a myriad of websites online. But you're, they're saving you the work by aggregating them all together. Do they break them down by, by genre and person so you can have technology quotes or inspirational quotes or something like that? Yes, they do have a very extensive breakdown of all of those different quotes. So I guess if you're putting together a speech, it would be useful. But I'm thinking $29, $30. You're asking for my take on that? Pretty much. I'm going, I, I didn't actually know about it. You, this is one of those things that we, we choose to spring things on each other in the episode because we get really good, you know, honest feedback. I would actually totally pay that and put it into a couple of my solutions because that's the kind of a thing that the consultant can actually buy. $30 is cheap enough. You don't actually have to make the client even pay for it. You don't even necessarily tell the client that you licensed it from somebody else. You just buy it on your dime, put it in the solution in 10 minutes. And then they, when they log in the next day, they go, oh, how cool, you added a quote service in here. And we could just click a button and get a new quote. I love it. Wow. I wasn't expecting that. I'm thinking, wow, 30 bucks for <laughs> quotes I can already get for free on the web when I probably only want some of them. And I was sure. thinking... Uh, you can get them for free, but at what? how much work would it take you? Would it take you two hours? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, work-wise, it would take me more time than it would be worth to buy it if I needed that when... I think about it from that standpoint. Right. So and you're, you're charging, what, now, 350 an hour? Or are you up to 400 an hour? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know what I charge. Anyway, you see, you see where I'm going with that. I mean, most consultants are charging uh, a lot more than $30 an hour, and it would take time to find, parse, clean, convert. Uh, so actually, I think that's pretty cool. I didn't know about that product, and I probably am going to go buy it. Now, that's true. And so, like I said, you'll have to check me on my uh, skepticism, but I've, I guess I've seen so many uh, quotes websites where you can have a, a quote a day emailed to you of a certain type or whatever. And I'm thinking, wow, if those people are just going to email me the quote, I'll just basically make a, uh, well, maybe not every FileMaker developer would do this, but I'd make a, uh, a parsing script that would parse it as soon as it hits my ma- email and pushes it into a FileMaker database. Then I'd so, have to cl- classify it, but hey. So exactly how different is this than there's a product out there called Theme Library. You might have heard of it. It's 99 bucks, <laughs> and it contains a bunch of FileMaker themes, but maybe one of its most useful things is a really s- large set of icons, all of which are available for free on the Internet. Oh, those are free in the solution, too. If you yes. download the solution, you I can know, have I know, but why would you pay $99 for the solution when you can go find, find those icons you know, manually at great time expense to yourself? You know. Oh, because I thought people would be paying for the themes, the actual layouts. Oh. You th- did you, <laughs> you bought it for the icon? Yeah. It's, it's a great... I got it because uh, the main thing I use from that is the icons. Not the themes. I definitely have used the themes, but the icons are, are really cool. And it's really hard to find those, you know, you saved me a huge amount of time by, by collecting all those icons together so I can go find a really nice looking uh, home and left and right and up and down and all the other types of buttons that I want to do without me having to go and find them all on the Internet 
and put them already in a nice FileMaker format where, where I already know that they have a clear background, etc. You did a lot of work. You did all that work already. Wow. So that was totally, obviously worth $99 to me, which is why I bought it. Well, then, I guess I should update that. Probably a good idea. Add some new themes. Add some icons. Add some ability so that you can search. So if you wanted an arrow button, you could search on the word arrow and it finds them. And yeah, then that actually has been a big request. Have, have all of them together um, so that different libraries of icons that share the same color sch- uh, scheme and, and size can all be grouped easily. Maybe maybe even make it a, as an online thing, you know, where you can, rather than downloading a file, you can just, like, uh, query them on a live server or something. Maybe do it well, that, in Drupal. That's actually a, an article. The article that I wrote preceding actually putting the icons into that product was um, an article about how you could simply go to any of the websites where they're listing all of the icons, because this is more or less how I got it, as basically go to the website and then Firefox in particular had a save as and provided that the icons are on the website in PNG format and again providing the license allows you to do that it would just rip all those down into a folder on your hard drive and then you just needed to import them into a FileMaker container hmm. so anywhere where you see open source icons online if they're in PNG format you know supporting transparency you can do that from any website with Firefox. So. Yeah, but who uses well, Firefox? I mean, that's like, what, 30% of the market? I don't know. It's me. I, <laughs> it's a lot. I'm joking. As usual. Firefox. It's getting faster, too. Yeah, 3 was a way faster than the older versions, for sure. Very true. It was a big change. And I, I like the graphical, the look and feel of it is much better now, too. Have you played with Chrome? Um, I've not because I rarely go into my uh, virtual machine. Yeah. I don't go there much either, but that was actually a reason for me to fire up Windows to play with Chrome. I was actually very disappointed. I I know Google loves the Mac, and um, I was really hoping that they had actually released the beta for Mac the same day, but we have to wait a little bit. Yeah, so you're not going to be able to compare between uh, your Mac browser, Mac Firefox, and that. Because if you go over to Windows, it's going to seem a lot faster. Yeah. Even in a virtual machine. So what's not FileMaker this week? Not FileMaker. Well, I hear from uh, little squirrels in the trees that it's uh, Basecamp. Basecamp. But I've not used it. It's really cool. I've been using it. It's BasecampHQ.com. It's a project tracker. It's uh, it's from 37 Signals. Weren't they part of Ruby on Rails? They've got Campfire, High Rise, Backpack, mm-hmm. a bunch of different stuff. And Basecamp is a project tracker that's really, really useful for FireMaker developers. Probably a lot of people already use it out there, but if you don't know about it, you should check it out. You can get, uh, you can use a, a free version of it to track one project, and you can put milestones. What does it? What does it do? It's pretty great. Uh, messages, so you can use it for communication. Uh, you can upload files, so I use it pretty often when I'm doing programming for customers on the road. It allows me to securely upload a file, which is the latest version or like a bug fix or whatever, and then the client can download it. And it's are just convenient it, to have it in one place for that. Are you using it just for yourself or 
other people? Or? No, I use it for my clients. So I actually create profiles for all the individuals at my clients so that they can all go in. I can assign them to-do lists, like check out certain report. And then when they're done, they go online and they check off the thing as being done. And then I see the list, list as being complete. It can trigger an email. Uh, when I assign a new project for a person or for myself, it triggers an email. And you can configure how those things are done. There's a calendar integrated into it, so you can see when you're, what deadlines you've got coming up. You can link to-do items to milestones. Uh, there's also write boards and chat. I don't use either of those features, but you can use a write board so, so people can uh, collaborate. So it's pretty cool. It has some limits. There's also a billing module, but you have to pay a lot more money for that. I was um, just going to ask. I was, say, I was going to say the one thing that would be valuable, at least to me in the recent past, was if I'm working with another developer on a client project, in order to complete that, or not complete it, in order to keep the client updated, I'd like to know when that developer has added in features because I'm not proactively working on the things that they are working on. And as soon as they do, it actually sends out some type of notice to the client because the biggest frustration that a client has is knowing what's going on when they haven't heard anything from the company or the developer for a while. They're like, okay, are you working on my solution or what? This is really good for that because it allows the it allows the developer to update the client without actually having to call or send an email. They can just be looking at the website. And I find it really useful for when we have a meeting and we identify several items that I want to do. Some of them are bugs, some of them are features. I can enter all of them that are going to take more than a couple of minutes to do on a to-do list in the meeting. So, you know, have the computer in there. And then as they get done by me or whoever's doing the work, I can check off those. It's pretty cool. It's really useful. So it basically it'll send an email out to all of the team members to each to the person who's assigned that particular task. Now can you restrict what if you if a client can come in and view what's going on can you restrict some of the things to just your development side versus yeah. what the client could see? Yep, you can you can set um for each person you can set what projects they can see and what can they do within that project. It's not super granular, at least not at the level that I'm paying. I'm paying like 12 bucks a month for three projects. I've been using it for, I don't know, maybe about a year. So I don't use it as thoroughly. I know that the really big FileMaker shops uh, actually have hundreds of projects in here, and they and they actually have even developed their own databases that extend what this can do because you can actually – there's an API to Basecamp. So you can get to its data from FileMaker or from other database systems. Ooh, probably with, um, I'm going to guess, either yes. SOAP or REST – yeah, or maybe ESS. I'm not sure if it's if they allow direct access to the SQL source, but yeah. If it's a, a SOAP service, then you could probably use uh, Vince Manano's uh, WSDL. Yeah, web services plugin. plugin. He's going to be presenting that in at our at our meeting in Portland in the next couple of weeks. That's really nice and powerful what he's done. Yeah, there. I don't we'll actually. I, I haven't yet seen episode. on an episode yet. We should explain. It. I haven't seen all the features in the 2.0 version, but I've played with it. Um, he actually came out and did that about a year ago when he was when it was still in beta with the 1.0 version. But there's a lot of really cool web services out there. So yeah, we should dedicate an episode to it. Very cool. So that is what is not. I'm going to check it out now. Basecamp. Yeah, do. That's just basecamphq.com. Right. So, Dr. Petrowski, what is FileMaker Cool this week? FileMaker Cool. 
Well, it sounds like it's a constant uh, self-promotion. Maybe it is. But uh, <laughs> one, of my <laughs> one of my most recent articles was um, called Date Range Magic, I think. Or let me... The article, it's within the Zero to Awesome series, yeah, and it's called Date Range Magic. Now, this came from uh, someone had emailed me a tip and a file, which I get occasionally at the magazine, about this particular custom function, which was on Brian Dunning's website. And for those interested, you can find that at Brian Dunning, that's with two N's, dot com, slash CF, slash 748. And what it is, is it's a custom function that was originally written by, oh, now now's when I'm going to need it, right? <laughs> Let me load that up really quickly so I can give credit. By the way, what's, Andy a, what's a custom function? What's a custom function? <laughs> Please, we're not going to go there on a FileMaker dedicated podcast. Yeah, I was <laughs> trying to go for some humor. So who's the guy who wrote it again? Um, originally, it was um, submitted by Andy Frazier. He gave props to um, Excelsis and their business tracker for how they were working out uh, the functions for finding um, quarter-based ranges. But essentially what it does is it allows you to supply a human-readable term for a range of dates. So that is, for example, today, yesterday, tomorrow, this week, last week, next week, so on, month, year-to-date, year, quarter, and so on. So there's a few things that this function originally did. I don't know when it was submitted, but I'm assuming it was prior to timestamps. But I, I am not even going to know when ti- if timestamps were released at the same time as custom functions, or were custom functions earlier. Let's if see. You know, custom functions yes. were were in FileMaker seven. Is when they Did added it have timestamps. And I think they added timestamps as well in 7, not in 8. Gotcha. Well, the art, my video article, it basically went into how to use this. I extended it by adding a couple more parameters than what's found on the, uh, on the function on Brian Dunning's website so that it would work with basically creating a date range where you can supply the separator in between because if you're doing a search within find mode, you need the dot, dot, dot searching within a given date. If you're using it for relationships, then you just need one side of you know, the range that you're looking for, start or end. So you don't need that dot, dot, dot in between. So I made it so that you could uh, specify whatever uh, separator you want. And then I also included a variable um, at the end of it, which allowed you to specify whether it would account for time values and the way that FileMaker hmm. uses time values internally because it was only generating the actual date value. And if you give FileMaker just a date, it automatically assumes, and you put that into a timestamp, it assumes the start of that date, which is 12 a.m. Let's um, step back a second here and talk about this. So there's two different functions we could be doing here. One of them would be converting English to a date. So, for example, yesterday could be converted to the actual date for yesterday. Correct. And then the other one is to go the other way where you put the word yesterday in, and it converts. Did I just say the same thing? So basically, Almost. there's there's two yeah. different directions. You this, provide the date, and it would give you a relative term. Right. Basically, so you'd have, yeah, I know what you're saying. Right, so you could say yesterday or last week, and some of those things could translate really nicely. And actually, you could say last quarter or last calendar year, and those could translate nicely uh, from English to the date. Now, from the date to the English, 
some of them can translate really nicely as well. Like you could put in a specific date, but if you put in a, a specific range of dates, it might not be able to say, oh yeah, those happen to be exactly what last calendar quarter was. So that's much less useful, I think. Correct. No, this only goes. This is not the latter. It's the former. It only goes in one direction. You okay. provide the name, and then it provides the dates. Okay. And so it's just. And there are a few things about it. For example, on the this quarter date in that particular implementation of the function, it only accounts for this quarter, meaning the beginning date of this quarter going up to today. It doesn't complete out. The full quarter for this quarter. It's making the way right. that the function was written is it makes the assumption that there are no future date entries. But let's say, for example, you had an event calendar and you have some events scheduled for dates in the future. You would need to modify this function, at least as it stands right now, to basically give you the full quarter if you're looking at this quarter and not stopping at today's right. current date. In terms of generating the range, does that make sense? Yeah. So you could maybe edit it. You could say this quarter date would be up to today, and another function called current quarter date, or not another function, but another line of code. Current quarter date would give you the the entire dates of the quarter. Oh, there you go. That's a good suggestion. I mean, have both of them rather than right, and just with two different bits of English, that, which are confusing. So you'd really kind of have to know in advance what you mean. Good suggestion. Now I now I have to modify the function. You might take a look <laughs> at how those are described in QuickBooks because QuickBooks Reports has pretty good uh, English descriptions of all those terms. And that's actually what I would opt to mirror is something that already exists that is already um, in use by people somewhere else. Right. And that's, used to. that's the, the best example I could think of that I've seen that because it has all those reports that instantly give you the ability to run it the same way. And that would be a really good way to do it. So rather than asking people to do a date range, you'd have a drop-down list, which would include all these English phrases, and then it would convert those to dates when it runs the report. And that's exactly what this does. Which immediately made me think of exactly how I'm going to use this today. <laughs> well, in my implementation on the uh, article, what I did is I had, um, it's a portal, and basically I was showing history of all of the edits and record creations that any given user had seen, ha had performed, I should say. So what happens is they go to a tab that is their dashboard, or they enter the database and they land on this dashboard layout. The dashboard layout gives them a portal with buttons to the left of it that say yesterday, last week, last month, etc. Mm -hmm. Primarily because users know what they did, and if they need to go back, let's say they need to reference, oh, I forgot to they get a piece of paper, or, oh, I forgot to put in this line item on this invoice order, and I did that last week. Well, if you give them the button last week, and then it shows and filters out just what was last week, it makes it very quick for them to find and then move on forward with their tasks rather than doing an actual search. For sure. So I, it works like a charm. It's beautiful. Awesome. And moving on to our main segment, our FileMaker Gab for this week is complex searching, and that includes topics such as SoundX. Who's heard of SoundX? SoundX. So this is like, let's see, deterministic versus probabilistic searching, and fuzzy logic matching. And you so, lost me in the first two words. Right. So Deterministic let's, let's, and probabilistic. I know. 
So there's a public <laughs> health database that I'm working on. And so the problem that I have is this. I've got 300,000 um, names. So I've got your their, their basic fields that you have um, would be first name, last name, date of birth, and gender. And... And some of those names are going to be correct, and some of them are going to have typos in them. And that's the data that I'm matching against. So theoretically, it would be a deduped, very clean set of data. And then incoming, I've got several thousand records a week coming in from labs from all over the state um, of test results. And each of those records will have a first name, a last name, a date of birth, and sex, hopefully, right, or gender. They call it, different departments call it sex and different departments call it gender. I'm not exactly sure which is right, but everybody has a very firm opinion on the subject. So anyway, um, <laughs> so what you need to do is you need to get as accurate as possible of a match. So with each of these incoming records, you, there's a variety of techniques that I'm bringing to bear. And I want to talk about this subject, one, to sort of talk about what I've actually achieved so far. And two, to get some input on what other people are doing and to invite some comments and some discussion on what other methods can be done to do this, right? So a deterministic type of a search would basically, you would do a search and you find a specific record and you just, um, that one record that you find is the match and you kind of continue from there. Probabilistic search would actually do a test of all the records in the database and determine which ones have the highest probability of being a match, and then sort them by probability and give you the highest probability at the top. And that's based on not finding specifically what you're looking for. Right. Think Google. Right. So when, okay. you, when you go into Google and you type in um, FileMaker Developer Portland, it's, it gives you what it thinks is, and by the way, that's not me. <laughs> if you do that search, it's Kent Seawright, a developer in Portland. Anyway, so if you do a search like that, you get paid links and you get other things, but the main, main block of Google search that you get is uh, the highest probability match that contains all three of those words that a lot of other people have clicked on. It's most probably what you're looking for. To do that in FileMaker is really difficult. Well, Google can cheat because they have a lot of other things behind the scenes that allows them to calculate the probability. But in a database where you can't cheat, um, what you need to do is score each of those records against what you type in. So if you type in Steve Smith and you don't type in a date of birth or a sex, um, what some databases do is they actually loop through all 100,000 or a million records and they test your search term against that record, and they test it with fuzzy logic. So they test Steve and T-S-E-V-E and T-S-V-E and, you know, all the different ways you could misspell it using different algorithms. Um, two of those algorithms that I'm looking at, one of them is called, is called um, SoundX, and SoundX converts a word of any length to a single letter, which is the first letter of the word, and a three-digit code. And it removes the vowels, and it compresses the um, letters to a number from one to six, um, based on, like, guttural, lingual, uh, and then different different ways basically that describe the each letter as to what it is and then certain letters it throws away it like throws away h's and it throws away all the vowels uh, i think it throws away w's also in fact there's a um a good article that uh people can access we'll put this on uh, the actual episode page it goes to a uh, blog page by 
Mikhail Adoshin, and he wrote up the article actually back in 2006. And um, I understood a little bit of what you were saying, but to boil it down, if I had to within one sentence, I'd have to say Soundex deals with misspellings. Is that accurate? Well, more than that, it actually sounds like names. So, for example, T-E-R-R-I and T-E-R-R-Y would have the same value. They would both have the same Soundex code. So it's knocking out all of the things such as vowels and some of the other letters in order to create a code that makes similar sounding words and similar spelled words, but slightly... Variants, yeah, and it so makes it the same, right. and it's it's uh, it's de-identified, so it's it's a hash. So you can't if you get a soundex like you know H two O three or something like that, that can't necessarily be converted to the name Harry or whatever it would be, even though it starts with a certain thing. You can't you can go one way but not back, and then all the all the names that are kind of like that. So H-A-R-R-Y, H-A-R-R-I, H-E-R-R-E, whatever, are going to all look the same. They're all going to have the same Soundex code. Okay. And so it's not useful as a first search. Um, in other words, you would first you'd look for the name and find the exact uh, match. You'd first look for Harry Smith and see if you can find it. But failing that, you might say, okay, well, some of the searching that I've done is say, okay, well, if I can't find Harry Smith, well, let me try H-A-R. Let me just try to cut down and look for half of that first name and then the full last name. And if it doesn't find it, then it does it, then it goes on again and say, well, how about if I type the whole first name, but just look at the first couple letters of the last name? And then if it finds that, great, then it stops. But if it doesn't, it continues and say, well, how about if I look for just the first letter of the first name and the whole last name? And so you can kind of do all these little iterations that are each better than a Soundex search. And then if they all fail, then you can do a Soundex search. So it sounds like this is basically, it's not just a go-into-find mode type thing, enter your search criteria. It's a, based on the results, I need to move to the next search within my search stack of what I'm going, how I'm going to look for data. Right. This is all part of the session I did at DevCon and some other research and work that I've been doing for Google-style searching in FileMaker, where you, you have a single place that you type in your search term, which would be a full name, um, and it would then break it out and remember that term and try a whole bunch of different things. It's basically like a big try loop where it tries the full name, then it tries a shorter name, then it tries the sound X and it tries, you know, other things because it assumes that what you're looking for is in the database and it tries to not show you no records found. So here's my question. You, you've obviously put this into practice in some places in your mm -hmm. work. Yeah. How does it fare? I mean, in terms of when you first hit the first match of something in this order of all these different uh, different types of search requests, does it tend to give the users what they're looking for? Yeah, definitely. So is the error that most of the time that's happening between not having good validation, well, I guess you can't put validation on, on a name, but... You could do things such as if somebody really screws up a name that's so abstractly uncommon, from the data entry standpoint, you could attempt to correct that. Or is it leaning more towards the people who are searching don't really know how to search or what to search, so you have to 
basically make the program you know, do as much as possible for them. That's exactly it. You make the program do as much as possible to make it easier for the user. Users expect that your search is going to work like other things that they use, and everybody uses Google. So the more you can make your solution work like that, then the higher user acceptance you'll have of your system because people will, it'll be comfortable and familiar. Gotcha. And uh, that's that's really kind of the, the overall theme I'm going to. So some of these techniques I started with uh, with Smart Publisher, uh, I guess maybe three or so years ago now when I first started working on some of this stuff. And there's 300 customers of Smart Publisher using it, so, you know, a couple thousand users from that. And then also other projects that I've been working on since then, I've been continuing to refine this and add capability. Um, and one of the more recent things I've added is is this um, Soundex coding. And then the next thing that I'm also working on is Levenshtein distance, which is sort of the next level of complexity after Soundex. Now, at the moment, so there's, by the way, Soundex and Levenstein, it's L-E-V-E-N-S-C-H-T-E-I-N, a perfect example of a last name that needs <laughs> some logic applied for searching, because who's going to spell that one right? You can look up both of those words in Wikipedia and get good information on what they are. Um, Soundex but will not find what you're looking for. Right. Sorry? Not a FileMaker implementation, right? No, but just it describes what it is. And you can to understand what it actually is doing. Okay. Um, I haven't actually found an, impl- an implementation of Levenstein in FileMaker yet. And it looks like it would be extremely complex custom function, but that's going to be my goal, would be to write a custom function. Um, there is a, uh, a custom function for, for uh, Soundex, although it doesn't match the ones that other people are using. So there's actually different versions and types of Soundex functions, even though they're all called Soundex. Um, and the one that's up there on the Brian Dunning site isn't exactly the same as the one that my client is already using in their other database. So that's why I'm having to actually rewrite it. Uh, Levenstein, I have found code that does that in uh, PHP, in JavaScript, in Java, and each of those could be actually integrated into FileMaker using plugins. Um, but I'm going to try to do it as a custom function instead, which would then be much easier to add. And so what Levenstein does is it actually looks, um, it, it solves one major problem that you can't do with any other method, which is if there's a spelling error on the first letter. So if you have Steve is, is uh, what you're trying to find, and when somebody entered in the database, they entered it as T-S-E-V-E, that won't work with any of the stuff that I've talked about so far. But Levenstein Distance does that. And what it does is it calculates the number of edits necessary to um, to get to word A from word B or vice versa, right? So if you type in S-T-E-V-E, it compares that to T-S-E-V-E and says, oh, well, that's one edit. I just switched these two letters. Whereas if you take S-T-E-V-E and it compares it to Jones, there's every letter is different. So that at a distance, it compares those two and sees how... Um, and it uses a pretty cool little way of doing it, using like a little grid. Um, but it's pretty c- complex. It compares each letter to the um, in the grid of the two words, so it looks at the length of both words, and compares it to the letter, to the adjacent letter, and also like above it, below it, 
and above and to the left kind of a thing. You'd have to kind of look at the graph. It's visual and difficult to explain, but... Well, I'm actually looking. I went to uh, Wikipedia, and I'm looking at it. Uh, did you already spell the name for the people who are listening, so in case they can want to get to it? And yeah, I'll, back- I'll spell it again, though, because it's weird. L-E-V-E-N-S-C... Wait, actually, I think I did it wrong. S-H-T-E-I-N. Right. I did spell it wrong the first time. Thanks. It's, yeah, it's L-E-V-E-N-S-H-T-E-I-N. And it has a pretty good explanation here. They use the explanation of uh, going from kitten to sitting, and then from sitting with an ending E-N to sitting with an I-N, and then moving from that, getting from kitten, kitten to sitting right? for some reason. But it's got the algorithm there right on the Wikipedia uh, webpage, so I probably, I, there is going to be recursion because it needs to call itself over and over again, it looks like. It does, and it needs to call itself in different ways over and over again, which is the tricky part. Um, so it might... Um, it might be two custom functions just to be a little bit easier to digest. Um, or I could do, I don't know, I haven't really gotten too far into that one now. I've still been working on getting the other, um, the, uh, the other one rewritten in a more clean way. I know so, somebody like Ray Colligan or uh, one of the math geniuses out there will probably uh, just whip it out in a few minutes. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe somebody's already done it. So that would be really good to find it that way. Or, like, you know, I'm actually kind of on the verge of just using it in the Java code and then using the 360 Works Script Master plugin, which is free. And awesome. And awesome. And then I can just implement that without, you know, that's definitely a lot less work. Very cool. So that's kind of where I'm going with all that. Well, I'm looking forward to your uh, white paper, your uh, PDF, your slides, and uh, everything else. And the for sale product that I'm going to be planning on (laughs) releasing as well. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. It's actually, it's really fun to have an obsession uh, like this search is for me, where you spend, basically any time that I'm not doing client work, um, I can be, I can work on this solution and learn more about it and just sort of keep expanding, talk to different IT professionals about what they know about it. And uh, eventually, and then also as I go, I implement different aspects of that into my project. So I find that a really, really fun thing. I, th- I think you do too, don't you? Well, you're definitely dealing with more data than I am, at least in a FileMaker database. I don't have anything that's approaching, you know, multiple hundred thousand records. But you have other uh, projects, like the work that you do with Drupal and a lot of other things that really tickle your fancy. So you really keep learning about them and you keep on that on that uh, learning curve. And oh, that's right? true. That stuff sucks me in. <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. I mean, you just uh, you just want to keep... It's almost, it, it almost like it feels bad when you don't know it all because you want to keep learning, and that's when you end up being, you know, up at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and you're still going, and you're like, how am I still going? Because your brain is just so wired and so active because you're trying to learn as much as you can as quickly as you can i know what you're talking about oh yeah by the way um i'll throw in a little plug here uh i have a free download of some of the demo files that i've done on my website which is msnmedia.com and if you you go to the the files section there for that pardon do you have a sub url for that um actually there's just a link on the top if you go there that you can go to the downloads uh, actually, it also it's it's msnmedia.com/downloads.html. I think will 
Files.html. Files.html, thanks. Cool. And you can get those for free. I and ask that if you download it, that you send me a email um, and uh, send me your feedback and anything that you do that's well, useful. That's great. Why didn't you just tell me about that at the beginning right there? I'm like, okay, I'm expecting I'm gonna, there's going to be a white paper. I knew you did the, the session, but I didn't know you yeah. put the stuff up there. The answer to your question is I'm better at development than self-promotion. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm working on it, right? Taking, well, taking the link up. will be in the uh, the article as well, associated to this particular podcast. And there will be uh, other versions of that. So, in those versions that are up there now, there's no Soundex code and no Levenstein code. So, I'm working on the next versions that I put up there will have that. And then eventually, what I'm working on is a product that you can implement into your solution in under an hour. That would be a you can add on a full search module that would give you Google style search. Um, and so that you could add a single field to your layout and specify what layouts and what fields you want people to search on. And uh, then it would do all that search and it would pop up a new window with all those search results. So the user would stay on the screen that they're on and a new window would pop up with all their results. And then when they click on a record, it would then close that window that, that had popped up and navigate to the correct table and the correct record that they just clicked on. Hmm. Pretty nice. Which I have... I have working um, at some level now, but it has a ways to go before I'll be uh, rolling that out. Man, all these techniques and all these things that are, I mean, like, this is clearly out there. It's on your website, but I have to have either heard this podcast and know about it. I so want to get as many of, you know, the smartest FileMaker developers and get them all using one central SVN repository so we can just consolidate this stuff and you can keep up to date on it. And when developers update it, you get the updates when you update your repository. And yeah. if you're in FileMaker and you don't know what SVN is, then that's all right. I'm just being geeky. We but talked about that on the last episode. It's version control and it's mm-hmm. totally awesome for keeping in sync with a bunch of different things. So It's good. It has a lot of overhead and it's, it's kind of geeky. I would say, in terms of you have to you know run a program to sync, and then it goes and grabs the project folder and puts it on your desktop in a certain location. But I think the tools are not as easy to use. They're definitely it's much more familiar if you're if you like typing terminal commands than if you like using GUI programs. Well, they do have a few GUI uh, GUI programs, but I think you just gave me an idea for what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make a single FileMaker file, which will basically grab an anonymous SVN repository from a Google Code repository. Mm-hmm. And that way, anybody who puts stuff up there, if you're a geeky developer, you can put it up. But if you're non-geeky, you should be able to just run that FileMaker file and just click get it. And it'll just basically download it for you. At least on the Mac, it's already there. But on Windows, you have to actually get additional software. But yeah. that software is free and available. So it would it would be really great if we had a repository. For example, if you go to PHP.net and you do searches there, you'll find awesome bits of PHP code you can use and grab. And and actually, I found some Levenstein code there in, in uh, PHP that I could use, and I could use that, and I could use SmartPill. And, so there's uh, that one that website way. that somebody started. I don't know who it is. FMCode.com. Hmm. That uh, is supposed to be a collection of um, all kinds of code, not just uh, functions like Brian Dunning's custom uh, function website. Right. But um, and wow, he even references the uh, FileMaker Functions Google Code repository I set up. 
and also FM forums everywhere. It's just it's laid out sort of poorly. I don't like the way that it's set up to get anything. The search isn't obvious. It's way up in the top, and I don't know, you know, how well it's searching and so on. But it's there. Got a nice little news feed there. He's probably just referencing the, uh, um, what is it, fmpro.org? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's his own. Who knows? That's all I've got for this episode. What else do you have, Dr. Petrowski? Well, that's about all I've got, other than I'll throw a little teaser for one of our, uh, one of our other podcasts coming up. Um, it's a little product that I'm working on. We mentioned the 360 works. Mm-hmm. And also give people the, uh, the tip that basically I got started because of the code provided in the 360 works example database. But basically it's a gradient generator. Since FileMaker is so poorly lacking in uh, its color methods for doing things with colors, like you can't pick a starting color, an ending color, and then create and then have a box generate a gradient. Right. Well, that's what this does. It's a little tool that uses that um, the free Scriptmaster plugin, and it will generate a gradient right within a container field, ready for you to just drag into your database. Cool. So. I think Something. I've seen some JavaScript does stuff that does that too. No, maybe I'm thinking of just a color picker where it does that. It doesn't actually generate the gradient. Yeah, no, they, yeah, they've definitely got that in JavaScript. So, nope, just a little teaser. Cool. Well, thanks everyone. Yep, it was great talking FileMaker with you. 